1: Welcome to another Baseball America podcast along with J.J. Cooper. I'm John Manuel. It's been a while. Thanks for checking in. Whether you subscribe on iTunes or you download this at BaseballAmerica.com, we appreciate it. And it's obviously the prospect season. Draft Report Cards are up at Baseball America right now at uh, BaseballAmerica.com. And organization top tens, top ten prospect lists start October 27th. Working on that right Hmm. now in the American League East. So uh, we're in the midst of prospect season. All our league top 20s are out. Even our indie ball list is out. We can talk a little Top bit about ten. that if you want yeah. to. Uh, would have been would have been longer if teams didn't just go sign all those indie ball players. And uh, obviously, as usual, we will uh, you know talk about the as usual we'll talk about the World Series, and that's you know really that's really what we're going to talk these, about. That's really where things start off. Um, but JJ, uh, first off, congratulations are in order. And this is a peculiarity, I suppose, of working here. You, know, you have you know, working on the prospect handbook um we've had different staffers have different philosophies you know over the years jim Callis liked working on the same ones now back in the day jim would do all kinds of different top tens and the early days of the handbook when it would go to press like in february we would jim might have done six top 30s um i know one year way back in the past when we just did top tens david ronsley who now works at perfect game did 19 <laughs> top tens we figured out that wasn't a good idea um so, I've done as many as four in a book. You've done, you usually, but you usually do the same two. Now, you have done other organizations. You did the Mets back in the day. Was there anybody else you'd done previously? Uh, let's see, Mets. And then I went from Mets to Reds
0: and then added the Royals and then went from adding the Royals to adding two right. more teams on top of those. Now, but you,
1: but you, for a long time, I mean, what, five, six years, you did Reds and Royals, right? Mm-hmm. And that was it. So, the Reds made the playoffs in that span, the Royals did not. But for the first time, now, you've got an organization that you worked on going to the World Series. Now I'm I've doing done, the Giants
0: this year, too, so I'm a good luck charm all the way around. That's right.
1: I didn't even think about that, that. You are doing the Giants for the first time this year. Now, I did the Giants, but they weren't in World Series when I worked on their list. Blue Jays, so obviously. So you must have done them in an odd year. That's right. Well, yeah. Well, I did them in the pre-Posy era is what it is. I did them in the era when Travis Ishikawa was a prospect and ranked as high as number four. Um but also other prospects were uh, ranked in that included uh, John Bowker was one of them, obviously Marcus Sanders, Dan Ort-Meyer, um some real winners, Tony Torcato. Giants fans know what I'm talking about when I say Scoop McDowell, so <laughs> they remember who I'm talking about, Arturo McDowell. Um, but, yeah, so, um, so first, congratulations on that. And second, did you ever think that was going to happen? Did you believe yes. that the Royals would get there?
0: Yes. Okay. I mean, when we were writing best farm system, you know, we've ever seen type stuff. Yeah. I really believed that, no, I thought, again, did they get there the way that I thought they would get there? Not necessarily, but I did believe that they were building something that was going to at least put them, again, predicting a World Series appearance. Billy Bean knows you cannot do, I mean, it's hard to do because there's too much variables to it, but... Did I think that they would put themselves in position to where they could be there? Absolutely. And, again, they've done it a little differently than maybe you know <clears> any <throat> of us would have projected. Um,
1: or than they projected, I right. think.
0: Eric Hosmer and Mike Moustakis were... If you just watched the playoffs, they've done it exactly in many ways like we'd expected. It. You right. said that Alex Gordon... Eric Hosmer, you know, Lorenzo Cain, and Mike Moustakas led the team to a uh, World Series. Okay, yeah, I completely understand and buy that. But the fact that they did it really kind of with more defense and pitching and with much less production from those guys during the regular season than you would expect, that, that part I don't, I don't think you can say that we predicted.
1: And that's the amazing part of it is that not just that they've won eight straight playoff games. I mean, that's amazing in and of itself. But the way that they're doing it in the postseason is basically according to plan, with I guess the exception being, and we had, a I believe, and maybe I'm giving us too much credit, but it felt like in royal circles, it was kind of an infamous podcast where when the royals were building this incredible farm system, and where I didn't believe because of their pitching development. Right. And I was just strident that they will not develop the homegrown pitching and the thing is they did and they didn't. They didn't for the draft. Danny Duffy is still the only guy mm-hmm. in seven years mm-hmm. of the Dayton Moore administration who's been a homegrown started, drafted, signed, developed starting pitcher. But obviously Jordana Ventura has overcome the profile of the hard throwing Latin American pitcher who usually goes thrown in the bullpen. He's overcome that and he's been a starter. He is the that said he had the worst start of the LCS for them. Right. Um but they have. But he was really but,
0: good in the. LB. He was excellent
1: in the division series. Um, he, th- but, so they, but they've done it. Yeah. Not yeah. No. He, overall in the playoffs, he's probably been the worst pitcher they've used. Not in terms of he's the worst pitcher. Right. He's been the least effective pitcher they've used. Probably in the postseason. He's not as James Shields. Yeah, I would say Shields has probably been better than him. I mean, he didn't get yeah. hammered like, like Giordano did when they used him in the bullpen inexplicably. Um, but the thing is, the bigger question. So, so that was one big. That was a big question mark I had. Mm-hmm. And I think the biggest question mark that you had was, would Dayton Moore be able to make the moves around the margins? The the story that you wrote that was the story in my mind on, okay, now we have all these great prospects. Now what do we do? How do we win with them? The moves around the edges of the roster. And it still feels like a lot of those moves weren't even necessarily the greatest moves as far as the small moves, but the two big trades no, see, were I, the I, big I, trades. I would,
0: I would disagree with that, though, in that I do think that this year if you look at what they've done, and they they always have made some moves that you do scratch your head at, you know. But if you look at – before we get to the big trades, <clears throat> which they are, I think, kind of the cornerstones of this in yes. ways, but if you also look kind of on those moves on the side, bringing in Jason Vargas – and giving him a not a you know blow you away deal, but a a, a decent sized deal was a controversial move. It was one that those you know that was kind of puzzling to many. But they I think they made, they ended up, and it was puzzling to me, but they made an excellent evaluation. That's kind of a move on the periphery, but they went, you know what, fly ball pitcher in this ballpark with this defense, he'll be pretty good. Right. Jeremy Guthrie. Yes, is he a fifth starter? Sure, but in this ballpark with this... Well, they obviously consider him a fourth starter because they've started right. him in the playoffs right. over Duffy. Well, the, the reason for that, though, they do. there is some concern. I think if Duffy was not for the fact that there's kind of some... They have concerns about Duffy pitching from the rotation, you know, pitching from the stretch. I mean, pitching not out of the stretch, pitching for the windup. And that's really kind of what's limited them from using Duffy in the, play- in the playoffs.
1: Right. And they'll only use Guthrie for one start. But right. I mean, like, to me, all this time, I'm surprised that they didn't use Duffy. Yeah, they had plenty of time before right. that game four start against the uh, Orioles to get him ready for that start. It felt like mm-hmm. I-, I was surprised they went with say, the, it. sounded like they went veteran over a young but, guy. But was really kind say, of weird.
0: No, See, when you say get him ready, you don't have a chance to get him ready to the playoffs. There's no, they, they literally have not had a game where you say, hey, we could put a guy out here and give him 3 innings but they
1: didn't to... use Guthrie either. Guthrie was just as rusty. Basically is what i'm saying.
0: No, what i'm saying is, is he's not though because Duffy the concern stretched back to the regular season. If you remember Duffy had at the very end of the season there were some mechanical problems and all. Right. And so Guthrie from that standpoint, i think they actually their concern is that they actually feel like Duffy can pitch right now from the stretch and they feel okay with it.
1: So you can you don't think he could go? I mean like how uh it's just weird. You, you know, he, get five, he couldn't give them five innings? They felt better about Guthrie giving them five innings than... than, than Right now uh, they
0: do, yes. Right.
1: So that's yeah. what I'm saying. That's what he's the... I mean, was it just because Duffy's health was not... They didn't feel he gave them five innings? Yeah. Mechanics.
0: Okay, they, anyway. feel like that, they feel like that right now, again, you know, they feel like that if you've said over the course of the season, Danny Duffy, much better pitcher than Jeremy Guthrie.
1: When They're, he was out there. Right. <laughs> when he was out yeah. there. That's part of being a rotation guy. That's right. the... But they've overcome all those things. Is that uh, to, They've overcome all those things to, and they didn't do it with brute force of offense either. Oh. Uh, it nothing went according. I would say nothing went according to their plans, and yet the athleticism and the power arms in their bullpen, the athleticism that translates in every way for them, got them through a regular season. And it, Duffy's health was not. They didn't feel really them five innings. Yeah. Mechanics. Okay, they Anyhow. feel like
0: that, they feel like that right now again, you know they feel like that if you've said over the course of the season Danny Duffy much better pitcher than jeremy Guthrie when They're, he was
1: out there right <laughs> when he was out yeah. there that's part of being a rotation guy that's right. the, the but they've overcome all those things is that uh, to, they've overcome all those things to, and they didn't do it with brute force of offense either huh. uh, it nothing went according I would say nothing went according to their plans, and yet the athleticism. And the power arms in their bullpen, the athleticism that translates in every way for them, got them through a regular season, and it really is magnified in the postseason. But it is remarkable to see a team get to the World Series, J.J., with that little offensive firepower over the course of a regular season. Absolutely. It's not supposed to happen. Again, I
0: I go back to the 88 Dodgers. I know that they they didn't have it really for the World Series except for one at-bat, but they did have Kirk Gibson. But other than that... You know, they were uh, that that '88 Dodgers team was a lineup that you went, wait, who's <laughs> who? Who you fear here?
1: Right, but they, and, I mean, they did have the World Series. But they didn't have the the regular season MVP. Right. But I'm saying in the
0: World Series they didn't have them except for one at bat. Right.
1: Oh yeah, but, the, but I mean, like, but I'm I'm talking more about the regular right. series regular season right now. I mean, if you're comparing, I mean, that Dodger team was the last one not to hit 100 home runs to make the postseason. But that team had uh, two players who, at the time, you probably thought were going to be Hall of Famers. Yeah, Kirk Gibson. Obviously, those injuries didn't just End the season that year, except for the playoff World Series home run. Yeah, they kind of ended his effect mark. Yeah. Really, the end of his effectiveness. He, he was no longer the
0: the athlete that right. had always. That's one of the, his calling cards had always been.
1: But um, you know that that that, that team had, and Hershiser had one of the epic seasons of all time. And oh, at that point, insane. that was the second time in four years he had an epic year. I mean, his '85 season with the Dodgers. Uh, Is one of the great forgotten seasons of all time because of Dwight Gooden's ridiculous year. But was it 85 or was it 86? I think it was 85 where Gooden, John Tudor, and Earl hersheiser all three had just these ridiculous 80, seasons. It's
0: 85 was Tudor's season in 85
1: was... Yeah, like was, a 1-9 ERA and 21 wins and 250 and innings. And yeah, punched and, fan. Yeah, and no, and no fastballs of 90 miles an hour or above. Very different baseball era that we're talking about. And, of course, 85 has resonance because of this being the, that was the last time the Royals... Uh, One World you, Series. You were
0: touching on the trades, though, because I do think that if you say, "How did the Royals get here?" The, we, we've talked about this, you know, on, on at BaseballAmerica.com. Really, they everyone talks about the Shields trade, obviously, and that trade is—I I don't think they're here without that. You right. Know, you, the reality is, is that you can.
1: It was I, such a flashpoint trade. It was such a big deal trade, JJ, and it's almost like, um and, and also symptomatic of this. Um, I don't know what, how to put this I don't know. But the, how the industry seems to perceive how there's almost a perception, and I think it is a reality of where prospects are overvalued, and that trade epitomizes it. Yes, Will Myers is was a very good prospect at the time. Although I saw someone write that he was the best prospect in baseball the time. No one thought he was the best prospect.
0: He's he was watched. a
1: very good prospect. He was an elite hitting prospect. But um, but he wasn't the best. But so he was a ready for the big leagues prospect, and he went out and had a rookie of the year season and helped the Rays have a great year last year. But you see the uh but you know, th- obviously wasn't a finished product defensively all the way around. Struggled this year to stay healthy, didn't hit as was expected. And you see like the now versus the prospect. They the, and you saw this year in trades at the trade deadline where there weren't that many prospects, great prospects traded. It was more Ready for the big leagues, guys. And I see this all the time in my Twitter feed, especially with draft stuff. Why can't we just trade draft picks? I mean, I've never understood the allure of trading draft picks because wouldn't you? And you saw in the big leagues, teams didn't even want to trade for prospects. They wanted to trade for young, cost controlled big leaguers. At every level, you have more information about these players. And the Royals had more information, a longer track record on James Shields. They knew what they were getting, and they got what they expected to get out of James Shields. And he's been a difference maker in their organization, in their franchise history. I'm going
0: to be a little contrary on I know you are. Go ahead on the drafts, Mm -hmm. Franks. Go ahead. No, no, not draft picks. Okay. The reason that not many prospects were traded at the deadline this year, and we wrote about this at the time, was they weren't available because most of the the top-of-the-scale elite prospects this year were all held by teams who were in no way looking to trade to help right now. That
1: was part of it. The other part of it is that prospects are overvalued in the industry. And I think that's why the reaction was so negative for so many people against the Shields trade, and some of them, even with Shields having been a not the but a deciding factor in the Royals making it to the re- to the postseason this year and being their number one starter for a World Series cha- a World Series team, a pennant winning team. People are still in your Twitter feed telling you it was still a bad trade. Right. And, that's, and that's silly. That's silly, you, and that is what I'm talking about as far as the overvaluing of prospects. And I think it's starting to come back the other way, and I think the Shields treason trade is a reason why.
0: Well, the, the problem with all of this is, is that I, I do think there's almost perspectives like if you are, and we, look, we're on the outside, but we talk to a lot of people on the inside. But if you are a little further on the outside looking in, there's always the allure of what's the best team, the best team that can be built whenever it is. You know, there's some, even if you're a fan of a team, it's like, would you rather have a chance of a even better team in 2017 than the right. team you have now? If you are in a front office, the chance of a potentially, now there are, there's a sliding scale. You're not going to, in many, in most cases, you're not going to sell out completely. 2017 right. to win in 2014. Right. However, there is more value in wins in 2014 than there are in 2017 because if you're in a front, because office, it's 2014, you want to win now. <laughs> right. If you win now, that's uh, again, like I, I, the part that I really got puzzled on was, is I had people on the Twitter feed say no. You'd rather win more games in the regular season because someone said, I'd rather have the Mariners win hundred and sixteen games and not win a title than win a title having won eighty eight because not many teams win hundred and sixteen. I'm sorry That's not what are, it's about. That I, I know no way to put it. If any I'm, again I'm not much of an athlete, but any team I ever played on, what we the goal we had was to win
1: a title. You play to, to win the game. And the thing
0: with that is, is I understand the regular season is important. I've never come across a scout, a manager, a player who's ever been wearing a ring that says "yeah, won a lot of games in the regular." You know,
1: you get rings for
0: titles. Only, you get only remembered.
1: The, no one ever says the NHL is the only sport that gives a rec- that gives a trophy for that. That's the only one. No offense, Jim Schoener, but that's one of the reasons why the NFL, NHL is like a little foreign to cuz they give a trophy for the president what is it, the president's cup right. the president's trophy it's the president's something for a best regular season record who gives a flying flip and nobody cares how many people how many Mariners fans would trade 2001 all of them all of them except for your your buddy i mean nobody remembers that they hey they they lost to the Yankees that year in the postseason it's a and, great season. It's
0: not that they didn't have a great year. They did. But it, the reality is, is that you remember it yeah. right now if we're sitting with, you know, we're, we're baseball fans. If you sit here, we could go through every
1: World Series. Which was better, winning 116 games that year or being the Yankees in 1998 where they won 114 in the regular season and won 125 overall because they won the whole thing? It's not even close. Hey, the Mariners were no, two games better. Well, yeah. no, they weren't. Yeah. You know, they weren't. The Yankees won 125. because And they won the ones that counted. And that brings us back to the central question, J.J., of this postseason, which is why managers are managing like it's the regular season and not like it's the postseason. And it feels like one of the reasons that the Royals are going to the World Series is that Ned Yost figured out, hey, wait a minute. I know that Calvin, I mean, that Calvin Herrera is my seventh inning guy, but maybe in the playoffs I should use him in the sixth. And it did, and that's a way they won games. And meanwhile... Uh, managers who have lost, not, not all of them, because I think Buck Showalter managed like there was no tomorrow. Right. He just he, didn't, he, 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 none he, he, of the buttons he pushed worked.
0: If your players, uh, again, the one thing that I, I'll, I'll back up for a second to is, is that I do kind of wonder what, how we've gotten to a point where players performing seems to be players. Not performing is one of those things. that just kind of is on a manager as well. Right. You know, yeah. Like if your closer can't throw strikes that's not on the manager
1: right well i don't yeah i I'm not sure how uh, i I suppose that the Oriole fans' lament had just been that Andrew Miller has been so good that they wanted him on the mound all the time basically but that's that's, I mean, that's, that's, just that's not, not realistic plausible. Exactly. But, and the
0: reality is is that you had one of the better offenses in the league. they had two games against Jeremy Guthrie and Jason Vargas who right. are. Hittable pitchers. But that, uh, I will say that and off- they got two runs out of
1: that. I will say that offense wasn't necessarily on the field because two key pieces of that offense, uh, you know, I'm not even counting Matt Weeders, but Machado and Davis not being there. I think that actually hurt the Orioles more than I thought it would in the postseason because they didn't score a lot of runs against Detroit either. The most powerful offense during the regular season, the two were the Angels and the Orioles. And they only scored really against Detroit, against Detroit's bullpen. Granted, Detroit has great starting pitching. But really, Detroit's bullpen is what is, lost that series against the Orioles. So it's was, it's was kind of interesting how the Orioles really kind of neutralized in the postseason offensively.
0: It, it is. I mean, it is somewhat over dramatized how like you look at the teams that make the World Series and then say, okay, well, what can we learn from this about how you win baseball? I, again, I don't think you go out there and say, hey, we're going to try to build a team that has less than a hundred home runs but a whole <laughs> lot of defense right. and let, Not that. The, but the one thing that does seem to come out is is that. And maybe I'm taking this too far, but I'll, I'll throw it out there, which is when we saw the trade deadline, the reason that everyone, you know, thought, wow, look at the A's, look at the, the Tigers, was because they built these rotations where you say, man, they're really going to be able to go one, two, three, or one, two, three, four in the playoffs.
1: There wasn't a Jeremy Guthrie in the group getting a right. start out of those teams.
0: But I do think what we've seen now is, is that really it may be even more important Do you go one, two, three? What is your one, two, three guys that you're going to go to in your pen? Because in these playoffs, because of how it's scheduled and all, you really can just say, okay, you're going out again
1: today. And you're going out again tomorrow. Well, they didn't work with the Giants last night. Santiago Casillo was iffy, iffy, iffy in the ninth inning last night on his third straight game. I I, think that's part of it. I don't think you just count the starting pitching because it had Detroit in position to win. To me, the you actual the, they, didn't yeah, have, yeah. They, they had no weapon
0: and they knew it before the, right the the thing that's frightening about that is is they knew it they knew it and on July 31st they you, knew it on August 15th that it, was
1: one of the most interesting things about that series was that Andrew Miller uh, had some pretty high leverage innings in that series and pitched very well in those innings. And Andrew Miller had been drafted, obviously, by Detroit. Obviously, a trade Detroit would do every time when they traded him for Miguel Cabrera. But at the <laughs> Two same times time, on Sunday. right? But at the same time, you had Detroit. They uh, had tried to reacquire Andrew Miller from the Red Sox in in July when the Orioles went and got him and couldn't. Uh, the story that I read was that they'd already traded their guys to Detroit. The guys that Boston wanted were traded to Detroit to they, Texas. They could,
0: they could not match what Baltimore could offer. Well,
1: both, well, they, they did. Did Boston wanted Jake Thompson? And, oh, he's gone for Joachim Soria. So that's really the problem there is that Detroit traded for Soria. They have a limited number of prospects. Hey, they, Everybody does. Detroit's limits are much tighter. They just don't have farm far system depth. And they traded their, their guys they could have gotten Andrew Miller for. So how different would things have been if they'd had Andrew Miller in their bullpen? But, uh,
0: it would have been obviously vastly different. But I'll go a different way, though. They had enough, though. I know they, they didn't they couldn't have maybe gotten Andrew Miller because Andrew Miller but look at what the Angels did and right. the Angels had a whole lot less
1: and that's the other thing is that the Angels actually did have that bullpen I mean it, yeah it's not necessarily all a hundred mile an hour guys but their bullpen was pretty good it was really good their and starting was pitching terrible, was terrible right? but saying,
0: but but they they built a bullpen during the season correct
1: they did the Kevin Towers thing Jerry Depoto did what Kevin Towers is always known for was building a bullpen I don't know if he did it on the cheap but building it on the fly and it was a very effective bullpen so I think the the thing for the Royals is we knew they had a great bullpen. We just didn't think they'd ever score enough runs to have the leads for that bullpen to protect. And that's the, that's been the amazing thing to me about them in the postseason. is just that by making Alcides Escobar and Kane their one- and three-hole hitters as opposed to their seven- and eight- or nine-hole hitters, it really has changed their offense where now they have their best player, I think, all around, Alice Gordon, hitting sixth. <laughs> it doesn't make much sense that that's made their offense better. Because if you were doing them in a strat game, no what, lineup, what lineup? What What would their lineup be? Would you lead off Kane? Feels like Kane should lead off for them. He gets on base. He has yeah. power. He has speed. I, I,
0: again, the funny thing, though, is, is that this is also the difference. between talk about the difference between a strat game and in real right. life. Is that if you look at what Alcides Escobar has been doing lately, and you look at what Aoki has been doing lately, you can say that it's just that that's really statistical noise, or you can say, you know what, they're really swinging the bat well right now. Right. And that being the case, putting them at the top of the lineup, I do think it also helped in that by getting Mustakis to the 9-hole.
1: Mm-hmm. where I, he, Which is a good spot for him. It, He's dangerous. He doesn't have any pressure. At the same time, he is a two ten hitter. Right. So it's a good spot for him. I, I do
0: think that worked out very well. One thing, by the way, to, to just think of, when we talk about this Royals bullpen, they had... They should have had one more guy.
1: Yeah, no Aaron Crow. No, no, no. Just, just, Luke Hochaver. That's another guy. Luke
0: Hoachaver missed awesome the whole year. year. And Luke Hochaver, his season last year wasn't it Wayne was, Davis. It was Wayne year. Davis light. But it was it was in the range that if they he had He should
1: be a healthy Luke Hochaver, would he'd be their sixth sitting guy. Uh, if he if he was, would <laughs> be like
0: if he was, then it really would have been fascinating. It's like, okay, Guthrie or Vargas, can we get a, can get four? You know, like, okay, really we're going to Finnegan and Frazier in the fifth, you know, turn it over to Hochaver in the sixth, and then it, it would have been fascinating if that had happened. But, uh, but again, I one, one, staying on this bullpen for just a second, I'll yeah. ask you the question, which is – Because
1: the Giants don't have a normal bullpen either. Casilla didn't start the year as their closer, and they used to have a very defined closer, a classical closer – and Brian Wilson. Then they went to Sergio Romo, who's certainly not a classical closer. And it looks like he's ready for his 20,000 slider checkup. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, he is like the king of the backup slider sometimes. But you have Romo, who's going to be a free agent. You have Casilla, who makes Edison Volquez's arm action look clean and free and easy, you know. And then Jeremy Affeldt, who's like the only other guy who's been there for this whole five year right. run, it's 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 and not a Hunter classic. Strickland who Hunter Strickland out of nowhere? And, Oh, by the way, yeah, there's a kind of a reason he's out of nowhere. Four home runs allowed, but they allowed seven home runs out of their bullpen in the postseason. Right. I mean, again, if you look, it's at this, not if, a classical bullpen.
0: If you look at this right now and you say, you know, why, you know, why would the Royals win this? That I mean, obviously, that's you look at it, and you say, okay. If you're matching up starting rotations, I, I don't think. I mean, Madison Bumgarner is the. Uh,
1: he's a difference maker.
0: He's a difference maker. But you, you look at this and say the rotations aren't all that. There's not a. a, a
1: See, I, I think it's a pretty decent edge for the Giants. The way Vogelsong is pitching the postseason, Hudson and Peavy, uh, Peavy's in his second string World Series. There's a lot of... There's no, not, I give them the edge. I, I think it's a... I think it's a... Decide, like if you're grading them out, like one's like a six and one's a five.
0: The, the funny thing about that is is that because of how the schedule works, this actually works out poorly for the Royals in that they you want home field. I mean, you know... Right. They, but home field means if they go, as you would expect, with Guthrie and Vargas 3-4, and maybe it would be Duffy, but Guthrie and Vargas 3-4, you don't want them... You want them, logically, I would think that you would want them in the bigger ballpark, which you have in Kansas City. yeah neither but one's but small. But San
1: Francisco's not, Yeah, I admittedly, San Francisco's not, you the know. The thing like, is, to the, where I thought you were going is that you'd want Bumgarner pitching in San Francisco. right? because he he's been historically, especially yeah. this year, he's been much better on the road. So you give Bumgarner, with enough rest, I would assume he's going to come back either game one or game two. If he's game two, then you're looking at two and six Bumgarner both games in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. He's not going to pitch at home. Obviously, he was excellent in game five at home. But that guy, he's one guy to touch on, I, JJ, for me, because this was a year of pitching. You wouldn't call it the year of the pitcher. It was a year of pitching. Mm-hmm. I think I actually made that. I should have done on the cover the last, this year. I think I called it a year of the pitcher. should be a year of pitching. But it's, uh, and we had Clayton Kershaw on the cover. He's our Major League Player of the Year. And yet, JJ, what happens if after, what's the discussion going to be if we go forward in 2015 and Madison Bumgarner leads the Giants to their third World Series in five years? He gets his third ring. That, like, if this was the 60s, this would be a hell of a rivalry. But in the 60s, it was Marischal and. And Koufax, is kind of this rivalry, all with Bob Gibson and, and Don Drysdale, says
0: hey because you just have he's riding I'm, on the coattails. Of I just Koufax.
1: reread the the Bill James whatever happened to the Hall of Fame book. Don't even bring me that yeah. two hundred nine one sixty six career record. Anyway, <laughs> um, but you have I got it as the politics of glory. I got the original version. That's right. That but dog so,
0: that uh, one of my uh, roommates' dog half ate most.
1: Don't. Uh, it's a that's a, a fine book with lots of discussion of pitcher wins, but um <laughs> you do have. You had Gibson at that time, and Marishaw was the guy who was kind of left out because he never won a World Series. He was third in this. At what point did we start giving Madison Bumgarner a little extra credit compared to his West Coast left-handed rival, Clayton Kershaw, whose kryptonite is the St. Louis Cardinals, can't get past him in the postseason, and Madison Bumgarner just mows these guys down and, and could win his third ring. I mean, Madison Bumgarner is very quietly building a future Hall of Fame oh. resume here.
0: Is it is it fair right now for me to call him kind of the Mike Mussina of, uh, is that, or is that, I mean, that sounds funny to say this, but is that, is that not giving him enough credit?
1: I don't think it gives him enough credit because the thing is that Mussina, you know, after, other than 1997 with the Orioles, he really didn't have postseason success. He was okay with the Yankees, but he never won a ring. So I see what you're saying, like a great pitcher who wasn't, didn't get a Cy Young award or didn't get his due, I kind of see what you're saying, but... I think, I think it's different. I think he's just emerging from the shadows of the guys on his own team. Well, he has, that's I the mean, thing. Because of Lincecum, Lincecum and Cain. Right.
0: You know, and that, by the way, that is the thing. To talk about the Giants, to go off on a tangent for a second here, the thing that blows me away about the Giants is is they do such a good job. When we talk about the moves around the periphery, they do yes. an outstanding job of moves around the periphery. and for, they
1: For a team that's not thought of as – I mean, I just was talking to a guy in the front office this morning and – we were talking about, if you did end of the spectrum on the analytics, uh, more modern run organizations versus more classically, traditionally run organizations. We didn't talk about which one would be at the forefront on the extreme of the analytics side. I would assume you'd say Houston. Houston would be, yeah, uh, would have uh, for to For me. And I would say that Pittsburgh The Philadelphia is, is at the <laughs> other end. Philadelphia is like in the freaking Oort cloud. You know, they're like beyond the Kuiper belt. I'm, I'm Wait, going but solar but system best on you. The way to put
0: it is, is, when MLB has to loan you, Correct. an analytics person Correct. because you don't have anyone, they're like, we, we think you need one of these.
1: Maybe that brings them into where Makemake is, which is one of the uh, Kuiper belt uh, planetoids, dwarf planet. I'm getting all The uh, are you are you excited about this comet going to Mars this weekend? Have you heard right about this? No. There's a comet that's going to fly by Mars like eighty-seven thousand miles. From Mars. Like that's one third, I guess, of the distance between Earth and the moon. Yeah. This is a close flyby. Yeah. So it could be spectacular. So, anyhow, um, I digress. But yeah, so the, so the Phillies are at this extreme end. The Giants are more toward that end. They're not close to the Phillies because the Phillies are really freaking out there. <laughs> but the Giants are toward that end. Now, I would say their pro scouting actually brings in a lot more analytics. I wrote about this in 2012 where they went out and they found Joaquin Arias. Gregor Blanco, some great pro scouting that, that team did. You see the Galen Hunter Strickland, the moves around the edges. This team is quite good at it, but I think it really goes back to, I think the reason Bruce Bochy gets so much uh, credit is that they can bring in a guy like a Travis Ishikawa, who they signed for $955,000 back in 2002. I do believe that's the highest signing bonus they gave a position player until Buster Posey got $6 million plus in 2008. Um, but this is a guy who... That organization knows. But to bring him in, J.J., and to have him play three games, I think it was, in the regular season in left field before you make him your regular left fielder, and now the Michael Morse move, which is a nice offseason move, now they're ready. they got have a ready-made D.H., which is a nice thing that a lot of National League teams don't always have. They go into the World Series. For those four games, Mike Morse is going to be a factor. That lineup looks pretty deep, and suddenly – Maybe instead of even having to use Chicago, maybe you go Juan Perez in left field. Because of the defense, you don't have to – you don't necessarily feel like you need that Chicago bat or you can at least go to Perez earlier in a game because you have Morse in the lineup. It gives Bochy some flexibility. I just think that coaching staff deserves so much credit for – even though Ishikawa made a mistake last night and it almost cost him defensively, he made up for it, more than made up for it with the bat. But.
0: Yeah, I do. I think all these little moves that they make. Again, and they did
1: it in 2010. They've done it in 2012.
0: This is a team. This is a team that has ready-made excuses for if they'd have fallen short this year. And you could say, well, I mean, it's a team that has Matt Cain. You know, right? Yeah. Angel Pagan. Four
1: of their six highest-salary players are unavailable. Right. The Pagan
0: Therm. You know, who I think tweeted that out. Great
1: tweet. But the, the the Angel Pagan injury. I remember late in the year when that happened. I thought that was a killer. I thought that was just a killer for them. He's so crucial for them offensively he's a really good two-way player and i, I thought that was going to be a killer for san francisco and and it hasn't been i mean that's one of the underrated things i guess about the the royals postseason run correct me if i'm wrong they've pretty much been healthy the nagging kind of injuries right, with no, guthrie been and been healthy, duffy late but it's been a this has been a healthy team this has been uh outside healthy... of hochaver has he been the most significant injury they've weathered all year yeah I mean, I guess Bruce Infante, Chen had a bad back. Uh, I mean, <laughs> Infante playing hurt, right? The late, and the late and
0: playing, and Christian Colón had a fell right. off his tip. You know, felt that he hurt a finger. That I was mean.
1: my favorite tweet. I think of the year was uh, a regular season variety was when Rainey uh, tweeted. I, I, I won't even try to pronounce his last name. Jazzy
0: Larry, yeah, Jazzy yeah. right, Now I'm going to screw it up.
1: Jazzy Early, but obviously, as baseball perspective, as a Grantland writer, esteemed Royals fan, but when he tweeted. Cannot we real? this team really needs Christian Cologne back. I never thought I would tweet <laughs> that we thought that we really need Christian Cologne back. Um, but yeah, I mean, they generally were healthy. That's another big they're, reason they're, why they've been on this run.
0: They changed training staffs a few years ago, and since they've done that, hmm. they have been incredibly healthy. They really have you, you just look at them and say, I, now again, almost to like Salvador Perez at this point, you're looking at it. Hey, you, you can make the argument that they needed to uh, Russell Martin him <laughs> because. They didn't have a big margin of error to make the playoffs, but they have kind of <laughs> worn him down to a, uh,
1: you'd to say a, to a nub, but he's just so no, he's, big. He's so
0: big. He's, he's, he's basically a six foot four. Um, he, he just looks gassed. That's the way to put it,
1: you know, but. <laughs> throw him a couple breaking balls down in away, And you'll see <laughs> what we're talking about. The pole gets awfully slow uh, with Sally Perez, but uh, that JJ, that's the part I started asking you about before we went on these tangents. I, I did ask you like, if you ever thought it would happen, but, is it, does it make it more fun? You wrote about Musakas coming through their system. Oh. You wrote about uh, Hosmer. You wrote about Sally Perez. You wrote about, uh, I don't think you've got to write about Low Kane. I think I wrote about Kane and Escobar. He, the... Yeah, he
0: was technically not a prospect by the time they made the right. trade. Both of those guys were. But
1: Alex Gordon, I think you wrote about him. Um, obviously, Donna Ventura. Obviously, Kelvin Herrera. I don't even think Greg Holland made a top 30. No. That's he, that's on me. He, but, but well, I mean, like he is a little bit unusual. He, no, he is unusual. And he would be the I, closer. I still like I mean, he
0: was he was on the depth chart, but I look back at it. Obviously, he the velo jumped, the, but he's a fascinating guy. And if you want to talk about relievers, you know, we just did a command control story. Greg Holland. You watch Greg Holland. Greg Holland has very little command. Yeah, like. Salvador Perez will set up. Okay, now we're gonna be a fastball here, and then you know he's moving the glove away across the the strike zone to catch it. But when you got you have a guy who has that kind of life and, and that kind of velocity, it it can be successful even without command. But a um, five
1: foot ten right hander, he just doesn't fit. And he doesn't check any box, right? Of what you would expect. No, I, I,
0: I still I hope in the next if that happened again that I would you know I would catch it, but I, I did
1: not with that one. He's been, awesome. <laughs> he's been pretty awesome. He's been pretty awesome in the great. major leagues. So uh, he's been great in these in this postseason. And, you know, do, I guess I'm wondering, does it make it uh, – has it been more fun to follow just for you oh, as a, a-
0: – absolutely. Because also the thing with this is, is that I know no other way to put this, um, just to kind of pull open the curtain a little bit on what we do. You know, when you do these lists and all, you talk to people outside the organization, but you also talk to people inside the organization. Yep. Um, I, I don't think that there's a better way to do it. I, I think if you say, Oh, I'm not going to talk to people inside the organization. You're, you're, you're leaving out a whole lot of resources there that you should talk to, but, yeah. um, so you get to know these guys, if you, especially if you do an organization for years and years and you've done them, pre, you predate Dayton, correct? No, Oh no, you don't. Dayton, Dayton arrived pretty much. Uh, and I started doing the Royals list not long okay. after that, but so, you know, I've been out. You know, you go out to spring training. You see these guys. You know, I run into you run into these guys at games because if you if the Royals are playing around here, I'm generally going to try to go out and see them. And not surprisingly, if you're Royals front office official, you're going to often try to go see the minor league team. So you see yep. them there. You see them in all these places. And and this is not true for every team. And again, re- rooting interest wise and all, I mean, it's more of kind of no, I'm not really even talking about that as much as. But there are organizations. That you go, wow, these are really some good guys. Yeah. And there are other organizations we you go, okay, I can deal with them professionally, exactly. but they're not exactly, I'm going to go, you know, they get my seal of approval of, wow, these are great guys to deal I with. I
1: can't wait to see that guy at the ballpark. Right.
0: And that's, again, I'm not even saying like that that's like, that's fine, you know. Right, exactly. If, if I'm a fan listening to this, I'm like, I don't care if my guys are great guys as long as they win. I follow that completely. But... As a someone who deals with these guys regularly, and all, it has been enjoyable to know they've gone through you could, you know, they to see guys who've really kind of taken a team that was terrible, right? Terrible. Right. I, I again, the
1: Giants and the Royals actually are a really interesting contrast that way, JJ, because Brian Sabian is not warm and fuzzy. I'm not saying that Dayton Moore is, but Dayton Moore is no he is a guy who talks, he talks about leadership the kind of the way K, Coach K talks about it relationships, these human relationships we develop. I can't imagine Brian Sabian saying that. I can't imagine Dick Tidrow saying that. Famously, I had Jack Hyatt tell me the one time, and we're going to go, I don't think we'll get an explicit tag, but where he said, like, you know, it's not a bad thing to have a few assholes around. He wasn't talking about his bosses. He was talking about players. But in general, that was the San Francisco Giants Philosophy. Mm -hmm. I mean, they had Barry Bonds as their best player at the time, and Jeff Kent Kent was around. I don't blame them for saying that, and they won a lot of games with that approach. And so, so that is. So this is a guy who talks. They just won the pennant, and he talks about his players like a bunch of cockroaches. He clearly meant it in an endearing way, because you know cockroaches are so endearing. I know what he meant. You can't kill them. You can't kill them. That's what he meant. I get it, but you would never hear Dayton. You talk about his own players that way. It just – they go to – I think of the Giants as very professional. I did their prospect list for years. I like talking to Dick Tidrow. I like when I see him at a game, I go talk to him. He doesn't always want to talk to me, but I want to learn from him. He's Bert Bradley's been their pitching coordinator for a long time in the minor leagues. Great guy. Uh John Barr have a lot of respect for John. Just talked to him last week for draft report cards. And it was actually more of a chummier conversation than we usually have, but that's because they were up 2-1 on the on the Nationals. I actually I think I ended up talking to him the day after they won it. So it was a little bit yeah, I talked to him on that, that, that day. So um a little bit chummier than usual. He was in a pretty good mood. But I mean, those guys aren't I don't think of those I don't think of those guys as schmoozers in any way. Whereas there's no more schmoozer in professional baseball than Art Stewart. You know, and that permeates a lot of the well, Royals organization. So they kind of typify what we're talking about. And, and the, so I think there are a lot of people in the game who are very, very happy for Dayton Moore because he has a lot of those close relationships and good relationships, and people want good things to happen for him. I'm not saying they want bad things to happen to Brian Sabian, but it's just a little bit different. They're just right. very different personalities. Right.
0: There are teams that uh, operate under different philosophies. You, you look at it with the Royals right now. This may be Billy Butler's last year in Kansas City. You know, it very well may be. But, and again, he's been there a long time. But you see him, how touched he is yeah, by the fact that they've gotten to this point.
1: And there he is, got there when things were about as low as they could go. Because 2003, they had hope. They had the one fleeting winning year. They were winning the division for so long. Even though everyone at the time, I well, remember Rob and Rainey were like, fluke, fluke, this fluke, can't fluke, fluke, last. Exactly. Fluke, fluke. And then the next year, when it went downhill again, it was like downhill and like crazy Tony Pena like came a little unhinged. I think that's fair to say. The stress really got to him. He was gone the next year. But and the, that's what—that's the environment that Billy Butler was drafted into. This,
0: this was also the time, again, when you say how bad things were, this was the time when they were saying, okay, fifth round on, you got right. five foul. Go find something you can do. I, again, it was run in an entirely different way. And... But what I'm saying though is, that you look at it, and they've come, they've come from rock, rock bottom,
1: a, a not good place. <laughs> yeah,
0: it, it, as bad a place. I mean, again, you know, they were run on the cheap. They were, but they were also at the time there was kind of that. They were doing this before that. There always was this. Hey, we're going to sign the third level free agent to a. Con- and we have to overpay him so right. that he'll come here. And wait, this isn't working out for us. Why is this not working out with Jose Guillen?
1: Hey, here's Ed, Ed Lucas. Was one of those thousand dollar guys. Mm-hmm. I did not know that. Ed, Ed Lucas, Lucas, eighth and, round, two thousand four.
0: Ed Lucas and um, uh, the shortstop, Mike Aviles.
1: Yeah, he might have been the year before. He must have been two thousand three.
0: You know, so they they were.
1: It was, um, it, it was Steve Connolly, Nice, uh, nice signing by Steve Connelly. A one thousand uh, dollar, eighth round pick to the big leagues out of Dartmouth. That's that's pretty good.
0: But but no, you, you look at it now and you say, Okay, it's funny because it it's, I've also enjoyed watching I you 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 get you know, I got a lot I got a lot of Twitter followers who are Royals fans. Um, you know, I follow the Royal stuff, you know, like you, right. Royals message, Royals reviews, stuff like that. Um it's funny because you are watching a fan base that's really trying to process what's going on. Understandably. I am not faulting them at all for this. Yeah. If you're a Royals fan, and you've been a Royals fan for a long time, you pretty much went through your baseball fandom. If anything went well, you're looking for the anvil to fall on your head. Exactly. Uh, There's no other way to put it. And so, it is very... For 20 years. Twenty, Yeah, really for 20. I'd say like the late 80s, you had such a time of...
1: I really think of it as post-Ewing Kaufman. When Ewing Kaufman still owned the team, they I know were, they, they slipped. were a
0: model franchise.
1: They were a model franchise. I know they slipped in the lower half, last half of the 80s, but they also still had some ties. They still had like the Kevin Apier years, Jeff Montgomery, Kevin Seitzer, yeah. those kind of things. But then they, and then those last couple of years of his ownership before he passed where they were like, let's win one for Mr. Kaufman. Let's go spend the money and get David Cohn. Let's go sign Mark Davis. Let's win one for Mr. Kaufman. So at that time you were still very close 85 was still a very recent memory you had some players it's who tied not back to that but
0: that 75 right. to 85 stretch right. you go we're one of the best teams in baseball
1: but you st- so you're thinking to yourself there was still you still thought of the Royals as a team that did it the right way quote unquote and you still and, and you still had the owner who would set that example post after his death is when i really think the chap the, the page turned for that franchise's fans you know oh, I,
0: I, and so went through you go through this for understandably to where even when things are going well, you're kind of expecting, okay, when is yeah. the shoe going to drop? Yeah. And then to go from that in this span of two weeks to where it's like, no, absolutely everything that possibly could go well has gone well. Right, right. I mean, there's been, there is literally nothing that as a Royals fan that you say, well, that I wish that had gone a little better. Yeah. Since the playoffs started. I, as. You could be saying that in the seventh inning of, of the you know wild card game, but the reality is is that looking back on it, if you're a Royals fan, it's even better that way because yeah, exactly. that game's way more memorable than if they'd have jumped out to an early lead and just held on or something.
1: That's I guess to me like, this, this now this is a crazy tangent, JJ. But the craziest part of the last I mean, we've seen so what we're seeing with Royals fans is similar to what we saw with Red Sox fans in 2004. Mm-hmm. Why do we not see this with White Sox fans? And t- is it because there aren't White Sox fans in 2005? I can't. I guess I just. Why was there no angst with White Sox fans, or less publicized angst? Because they're actually still the they're the more successful team in their market.
0: <laughs> I guess so. I mean, if you're in the market, I, it's funny. I tweeted out, you know, like congratulations, Royal. You know, when they want, you know, mm-hmm. when they won, I was say like, congratulations, Royals fans. I know you have suffered a long time, which I hope makes this even more enjoyable. Yep. And I had some. I have Cub fans on my Twitter feed too, and they're like, and a couple of them tweeted back like, "Long time."
1: Yeah, <laughs> and exactly. I understand.
0: Like, I, I follow that, and, and I f- tweet back to them. Also, by the way, you know what the Royals? What we were talking about with the Royals in 2010, mm-hmm. going into 2011. I, to me,
1: that's where the Cubs. That's are. where the Cubs are. I agree. I mean, to me, it's something mm-hmm. where I think the Cubs are actually with two with two different data points. Number one. I don't know who you say the most famous Royals fan is out there. Paul Rudd. I'm kidding. No, 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 no. The funny thing is, is the Royals, who's the most famous Royals fan? The most famous
0: Royals fans in many way are the
1: are George Brett.
0: No, but they're the baseball. It's the it's the you know it's the Bill Jameses of the world. Right. You know, it's it's Joe Posnanski. It's all right. these writers who have ties to Kansas City. It's right. rainy. It's right. got, you know
1: it's so. In other words, only famous in baseball circles. Right. Not that famous. No.
0: Paul Rudd and I think but, Eric Stone Street. Did uh, you
1: did you see the thing this week about the? Uh, uh, about George Will, where George Will was—I uh, guess he's speaking at some college. I won't get into the controversy that surrounds him, but his writer uh, was published. I don't know if it was on the Smoking Gun or not, but it said, "Okay, he gets paid like forty-five thousand dollars to go get this. He has this appearance fee. He can cancel. It's in every contract he does. He can cancel if the Cubs are in the World Series. <laughs> I mean, so a the Cubs have a worse—and I'm going to say it—they have a worse famous fan in George Will." And number two, you have this new angst, JJ, of these pictures this week of them tearing down the bleachers at Wrigley Field for this renovation they're doing. Which,
0: I'm, which that to is, me, I'm fine with. I, uh, mean, I mean, to me, my thing is is that...
1: How hey, often have you been to Wrigley? Huh? Only one time. Wow. I mean, I've sat in those bleachers. It's pretty fun. No, it's no, no, fun to no, sit in no, no. the bleachers. But, but what
0: I'm saying, though, is, is that, to me, I have no... I'll say this blanket statement. I have no problem with renovating... I would much prefer that teams re- go back 10 years and all the talk with the Red Sox was, are oh, we going to have to move away from Fenway? No, don't move right. away. If you need to put some seats on the top of the monster, Correct. thumbs up. But don't move away from it. If you need to renovate seeing,
1: it. I don't remember seeing any pictures of Fenway being like in ruins like it looks like. I, mean, I'm not, I know it's not in ruins. That's what these pictures of Wrigley Field look like, though. That's got to be jarring for some Cubs fans. Because if you're a Cub fan, really, that's kind of all you have.
0: Right, but Historic, again,
1: you, know, you have the field. But
0: there's a part of me that's like, if you're a Cubs fan, that's how much has that almost in some ways been the problem? Is
1: I I completely agree. The
0: Cub, for the Cubs, it's always been about the experience more than
1: The Lee Elia speech. Right. <laughs> you know, it's it's about Hey have a great speech. time and you know, and
0: it you need at some point to be like, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna win games.
1: Yes, you play to win the game, not to drink and the beer. You play to win the game.
0: And that hasn't always been true in Chicago. Yeah, I, mean,
1: I, I think a lot of times there they play to drink the beer. So,
0: but I do think though, you, you look at it and you say, again, both these teams. You can if you want to be the if you want to be the the diehard traditionalist fan, you can say, well, we're losing some of the sanctity of the regular season. These aren't the best teams in baseball over a course of 162 and all. And to that, my answer is. And I wonder what your answer is, but my answer is that is perfectly fine. It's been a great playoffs. The,
1: the thing is, so many of these things seem new because we have wild cards, I guess, and you know, two teams with less than ninety wins, and then you have uh, because of Twitter, you have a different level, and because the baseball writers have changed over the years, it's not just newspaper guys; it's you know, bloggers, people on Twitter, whatever, who are criticizing these managerial moves. And sometimes I am reactionary against it. I know that, but um, you know, that's this is what people did. 100 years ago, it was second-guess every single thing a manager did and criticized every single thing they did. Fred, Fred Merkel goes, you know, right, you exactly. do not need Twitter to ruin your life. Over exactly. Here. And, number two, the best team didn't always win, which is more fair now where you have these 10 teams that get in, and you do have to prove your worth and, with every game. And if the Royals are going to win a World Series, they're going to have to win 12 games against good teams. Or is it more fair that, hey, you know, the, 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 the Indians won 111 games, but the, San the, the, the New York Giants won the National League. All they got to do is beat them four out of seven. Is that more fair? The Indians won 111 freaking games in 1954, and the Indians still don't have a World Series championship since 1948. Which is more fair? I would argue today's system is more fair. Frankly, I mean the the I, I would argue it's more fair. So I, I, again, I, I, more equitable. Is, whether it's whether it is or not,
0: like I, you know, we had people saying, "Well, we need to have a three-game wild card series." No. No. What makes it awesome is—is is yes, it's one game. And by the way, again, I'm I, not.
1: What What in life is fair? <laughs> I mean, what, what, where's fair written but into the things? These things have to be fair. The, the best, that argument does not wash for the, me. The,
0: the best way to put it is is that we're not. None of this. The NCAA. If you look at NCAA, the reason we play a college world series, the reason we have the NCAA tournament, well, the reason that. College basketball has been superior in many ways to college football. One of the ways is because you're right; you can say that you know what in college basketball the best team doesn't always win. That's fine.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: It makes it more memorable
1: sometimes. Yeah, that's absolutely that's absolutely true. If, the thing if, is, if Duke usually,
0: played, if, if, if just going back a year, if Duke played Mercer, Mercer was a very good team for that, you know. But if Duke played Mercer thirty times in a row, Duke would have won that series.
1: Right. <laughs> One would imagine they would have. But
0: but at the same time, or, or, it's uh, way more enjoyable watching
1: that. You have to pick which Duke upset. I'm going to revel in this a little uh, bit. Okay. Which which Duke upset are you talking about? Uh, Lehigh? Or uh, I guess they did beat Butler. But yeah, but well, So that's my other question. If the Royals win a World Series, JJ, if they win this World Series, is this Butler beating Duke, which obviously they didn't do? I mean, the Giants' payroll is ninth, I think it is, on this uh, opening day. I didn't realize that the Royals' payroll was as high as it was. It's $90 million on opening day. So the Giants are 6th in payroll. The Royals yeah. are 18th. Is it that monumental of an upset or not really?
0: I, I don't think it's really. I, I, don't, I don't think, I don't it, think is. it is. Because, and here's the other thing with this. This
1: is, to me, this with, is, go ahead, I'm sorry. The, with the Royals right now,
0: they're going to lose James Shields in the offseason. I know they've made noise, but I, I think it is better for the Royals. You 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 hope that you are giving him a ring on his way out the door, shaking his hand and saying, thank you for everything you've done. Oh, absolutely. Here's your qualifying offer. You're going to turn it down.
1: Next year's number one starter will be Brandon Finnegan right. well, what, <laughs> or you know, Kyle but, Zimmer. But
0: they're going to they're lose James Shields. However, again, and this is, we wrote about this back in 2010, 2011. This isn't a team that is – this isn't a team. This isn't, I do not believe this is the 07 Rockies. Correct. Where you turn around and go – where did they go?
1: Completely agree. There what you wrote at that time were two things needed to happen. You your your wrap up of the Will Myers Shields trade was awesome. I would encourage people to find that on our website or in JJ's Twitter feed. And also what you wrote when they Okay, so you have so you have nine prospects in the top 100. What do you do now? Two things. One, you have to make effective moves to to go from prospects to winning. And what they decided they had to do was they had to trade Will Myers for an a starting pitcher. Win. Right, and Jake Otero is a good point. And Mike Montgomery, I mean,
0: and Patrick Lent, you know, like, but and, Yes, but, you yeah. had to make the
1: Shields trade. Yeah. Did you have to structure it the way they did? No, but they had to go out and get a front-line starter because they didn't have one internally. And so by that's the time a,
0: that someone developed to become be one, one internally,
1: it'd be too late. But number two, what the Royals acknowledged at the time, because they couldn't go, oh, we're going to go trade for James Shields. I couldn't say that. We can't just have one wave. We have to have phase two. We have to have phase three. We have to keep doing it. Scouting and player development has to be the lifeblood. And at that time, the rules made it easier for them to have wave after wave. This, this uh, postseason, the success of the Nationals in the regular season, the Pirates the last two years getting back-to-back postseason, the Royals run now is a validation for the old draft rules. And I think if any of those franchises fall off, it's going to be a repudiation of the current rules, which I just don't like, because you should not. Which would you rather have the Royals? If you're a Royals fan. Or if you're David Glass, which mistake would you rather make? Signing, re-signing James Shields. Say James Shields said they win the World Series. They've, they've sold out all these tickets for the postseason, I mean, for the World Series, and they're tying World Series ticket buys to 2015 regular season ticket sales, okay. which is super smart. <laughs> so that is going to give them more payroll flexibility. So say James Shields says, you know what? This was so magical. I'm coming back. Uh, give me $15 million a year. I'll just sign for three years. Uh, 345 would be a crazy undervalued yeah. contract. I'm, I'm just I'm just saying yeah. I'm saying he wants yeah. to stay. Say, say he can say, he's say a Jason Vargas. Say is. he stay well no that was eight million dollars. Yeah. So say he stays three for twenty million a year. I only but only three years would be stunning. Yeah. And say the Royals say, you know what, we can do that because of all the season ticket revenue we're gonna have next year. We're doing that. Would you rather and then James Schill gets hurt and stinks. Would you rather quote unquote waste or miss on a sixty million dollar big leaguer? Or would you rather miss on a $6 million amateur? Or a $3 million, Tim Melville. Right, or, right, you know, $1.25 million right. or whatever he was. That's why these draft rules are stupid. Because teams can miss in the draft, and you can make up you, for the very also, next year, and the hit is smaller rather than missing on these big leaguers. Under the current rules, I mean, again,
0: you can't do that. We're, we're getting into time travel in a way like, well, if he goes back in time, would that you know, change the timeline where this would happen? But they traded Will Myers who they only got, they would not right. be able to get under the new draft rules. Correct. Absolutely correct. So that's that really comes you – know, Great point. That's a they great point. It, they did it under the old rules. They did it as well as anyone of, hey, we're not making – we're not throwing one dart. The last year, like Christian Binford, who may make their top ten this year, Christian Binford was part of the last draft of the old rules where they basically said, wow, this is ending. You know, It's going away. <laughs> okay. Scouts – you got, okay, who do you got for 700000 Who do you got for 700000 And right. they were spreading it around like, if you've got a draftable guy who's a projection guy, let's get this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy. Yep. And we're going to, some of them will fail. And you, some of them you don't hear, Crawford Simmons. You don't right. hear from, you know, like. The guy
1: who played, uh, was a good golfer.
0: Good golfer, you know, <laughs> was going to go to Georgia Tech. Guys like that. But you also get a Christian Binford who turns into something, you know, reasonably interesting. Right. You do that. That's gone
1: away. Now, you you see this. But the Royals made a very conscious decision. Like you said, one of the reasons they have been bad for so long was picks like Dan Reichert. I mean, no offense to Dan Reichert, but he wasn't the seventh overall pick in 1997. But they made him the seventh seventh overall pick because he would sign for what they were willing Mm -hmm. to pay. Mike Sadolka. These kind of picks over and over and over again where they took the guy who would sign for what they were willing to pay for their first round pick. Not the guy who was the best pick. And, and they flipped that, and, when that ha- and that, and they did. They changed it, and the, it took someone from Wichita, Kansas, with his scouting and player development background from Atlanta, with that pedigree in Dayton Moore, to get David Glass to to invest in scouting and player development the way that the Royals did, and now you see the rewards they, of and, it. And, and, and the I, thing about, it is, I, and
0: they've been fortunate in the draft. I hope Rod too.
1: Manfred they have. I hope Rod Manfred sees it. They were fortunate this year to get Brandon Finnegan to drop to them at seventeen. Even if you take Finnegan out, I like their draft with Foster Griffin and Chase Velo. You can read about that in the coming days at BaseballAmerica.com in our draft report cards. Um, but, J.J., no, they I, 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 I'm I, – I'm looking the,
0: right now and you say, okay, yeah. they're going to need pitching. Well, Cal Zimmer, Brandon Finnegan, Sean Maniah, and, again, the lower – you know, Christian Benford, guys like that. They have guys like that. They're, they're, they have possibilities out there that you could say, okay, you know, that – That could fill in some of those holes. They have a Raul Mondesi. Right. They have a Hunter Dozier. They have guys who you say, okay, not all of them are going to work out, but they do have a second wave of sorts
1: that you say they've really. It's not necessarily, there's not a ton of talent at the AA and AAA level. There's some, though they're more role players, but but, there is the possibility of future cornerstones in high A. Like you said, Mondesi, Manaya, Zimmer. Dozier potentially. Zimmer, like you said. I'm not going to say Starling is a future no, I'm like, I'm is a no, future quarterstone. That. He could be a future piece. But yeah, there are pieces. Uh, there are guys that get excited about. their lower and, levels of and the They're system. still
0: right now at a situation where because... This is the other problem with all this. We, we, look, we did another story on this back about four years ago. Looking at these waves and what lessons do you learn from these waves? And one of the waves that always jumps out is the wave of prospects that the Indians brought up. Yeah. Now, the Royals right now you know, have, have basically kind of been along. They've kind of reached the point of what that Indians wave that we saw, you know, you go back that the the Cliff Lee, the, you know, they, they had a group that you look at them and go, you, you kind of look at it in hindsight and go, wow, they didn't, they got one out, you know, they. The
1: they Indians really won- had like these two waves they had the wave in the nineties, the John Hart wave of mm-hmm. great hitting prospects. And they married them with veteran pitchers like Dennis Martinez, Oral Hersheiser, I guess their homegrown ace, quote unquote, was Charles Nagy. And things might have gone differently if Jared, if they hadn't gone to the whip on Jared Wright <laughs> in 97. But heck, if they won 97, it would have been worth going to mm-hmm. the whip on Jared Wright. But um, then they had this second wave because they had Bartolo Colon, who again, like, they didn't quite match up Colon and Wright to when their hitters were really at their peak. They lost Albert Bell to free agency, all that stuff. Manny Ramirez later. But then even after Manny left, they had the second wave of Indian success because the, because of the cologne trade, right, <laughs> yeah. with, the, with the Expos. You get Brandon Phillips, even though he didn't work out. You get Cliff Lee. You get Grady Sizemore. You get two cornerstones, plus your homegrown ace and Sabathia. So you had this second wave. But when you don't win with either of those waves, I guess that makes it feel right. more empty. So they did the get thing. to a World Series, obviously, in the late and 90s. Were, and they
0: were a ninety, uh, pretty consistent around 90-win team. And they won like, a ton of division titles. Right. But, again, this is what we're talking about, though, in that in some, there is some luck involved in it. But right. But if you're the Royals, by getting to here now, and you still have like Escobar's locked up for a long term, Perez is locked up long term, the other guys, Mustustacus Hosmer kane, they're just in the start of arbitration now you're still you still have multiple years this lineup this lineup that you're looking at for the you know for the postseason Aoki and right field that's pretty much it right. as far as guys who aren't signed up for you know lined up for next year. And then you look, again, now they may make some moves for payroll reasons or whatever, but James Shields is pretty much the pitcher.
1: That's the guy they're losing.
0: So you look at this and you say, okay, this team is in the World Series, and they're going to bring this team back. And, again, they should be able to add some guys to it, too.
1: You got And you have to think going forward, Ventura, Duffy, these are pretty exciting young can, yeah. starting pitchers. And then one Jure could be their ace. It could mean, be. He,
0: he should be there. Realistically, he's the guy they should be pointing to next year and say, "Okay, now it's handed to you. You're not going. We don't expect you to be James right. Shields yet, right. but you're the front line guy."
1: And really, you just look at one from the group of Finnegan, Zimmer, and uh, Manaya, These three college pitchers they spent a lot of money on in three straight drafts. One of those three guys should be a front line guy. Um, which one it will be? I don't know. I'm not sure if I put my money on Finnegan or Zimmer or Benaya. Maybe two of those three guys will be frontline guys. Maybe two, one will be frontline and one will be uh James she- I mean a uh, Jeremy Guthrie who was, you know, he was in a draft class as the number 1 mm-hmm. or 2 college pitcher. Maybe one of them winds up being a Guthrie type where he's more of a back of the rotation useful starter guy. but he's def- the dependable, a useful mm-hmm. guy. So the, pi- the the picture looks good there, not just now, but for continuing nope. it and like you said not being Try out to be a Rockies 2007 flash in the pan.
0: San Francisco, looking
1: at them. And we should wrap with them. Yeah. yeah,
0: San Francisco looking at them. You would say that in some ways it looks like it's a little bit murkier with them.
1: Yeah, I'm just looking at our league top 20s, JJ. They only had one player in full season ball make a league top 20, and that was Andrew Susak. Um, uh, Christian Arroyo and uh, right-hander Miguel Santos made a short season ball, uh, rookie level at, uh, Arizona league, and short season Northwest league. But no other full season prospects. That's not to say they don't have prospects, and you do see a team with rookies like Duffy and Perez, obviously Joe Panic, Susac, Strickland. You have five rookies, right? All playing on this twenty five man active roster.